This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Matthew chapter 5. I want to tell you this. I am excited about preaching about Jesus. I mean, he's the reason I'm here. What about you guys? Jesus is everything. He's everything. I have enjoyed so much talking about him during this series. It's amazing to me how churches get preoccupied with a lot of things and forget about Jesus Christ, who's the center of why we exist and the center of why we are here. And we've been looking at the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter five, and Jesus is telling us how to live, but like every good teacher, he doesn't just tell us to do something, he is the example of how to live. And today, our message is, Jesus is pure. Jesus is pure. Let's stand together, and if you're able to, stand, and let's go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Starting with verse one, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, the poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse four, those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. And today's key verse is verse eight. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 10, we address in our Good Friday service, so we'll finish verse 8. We'll do verse 8 today and finish this series next week with verse 9. Let's pray together. Jesus, we have been hurt and broken by leaders who have had ulterior motives or who have started out correctly and then gone off course. Jesus, we have been disappointed by inauthentic leadership and a lack of transparency. And so I wanna praise your name with my brothers and sisters today because you are pure. Jesus, you are pure. And you said that we are blessed when we're pure in heart because we're gonna see God when that happens. And I just pray that we have a revelation of who Jesus is today. Open our eyes to see not who people have told us that Jesus is that's incorrect or or not even who we're creating Jesus to be, but open our eyes to see, Jesus, who you are in all your glory and all your power and specifically today in your purity. That's what we were praying for. That's what we're believing for. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. Well, you may be seated and you can grab your outline because we are kind of back to the future. For the first probably 17 years of my ministry, I always preached with fill in the blanks. Then I thought the digital revolution was going to take paper away, but you guys have not let go of the review, the paper. You love it. You use it. It's great because you can work on grocery lists and to-do lists if I get boring. And now, to help us with engaged learning, we are back 
to fill in the blank. So get ready to learn. This is a fun game too. You can try to guess what we're going to say. And you know, if, uh, if you guess right, you don't get a prize, but you're just clever. So this is going to be good today. Uh, seeing Matt up here and hearing Austin's uh, kind words, and I love the way Austin honored Pastor Matt, and I loved to hear what Austin had to say. Uh, but just seeing Matt up here, it, you would agree if you get to know him that he was just kind of born uh, at the, to be a youth pastor in this, this era of his life. Sure, he won't be a youth pastor forever, but right now, man, he's doing a great job, and 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 the kids love him, and he's fun. I mean, this is a guy who wears uh, a Batman suit when he goes and visits kids at school. So, I mean, that's that's just kind of uh, your typical youth pastor stuff that uh, we don't see a lot of anymore. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, Matt doesn't spend all his time just uh, branding his youth ministry. Just he goes out there and gets kids and loves on kids. Well, you know, when we were looking for a youth pastor. Uh, I, I searched really across the nation. I started with all my contacts. I went to some databases that had jobs and just couldn't find the right fit. Little did we know that Matt Malone was living up in Gallatin and he was looking for a job. So when I interviewed him, I asked him, what other jobs are you looking for? What other jobs are kind of in the queue? What other jobs are you trying to get right now? And what he told me wasn't funny at the time, but now these two and a half years later is quite comical. Uh, because these jobs uh, that Matt was, was applying for now is crystal clear. I mean, he just was not a fit for these jobs. And one of them uh, was a bank teller. Now, now Matt's a really, uh, a really great communicator and has great talents, but there's some things that just aren't a fit. And one of the things you need as a bank teller is you need to be good with numbers. So like addition, subtraction are good. And, and then... On top of that, ADD doesn't help either. So if Matt had actually got a job as a bank teller, that would have been a bank robber's dream. He would not have had to use a gun or a mask. He would have just kept talking to him and taking money. He kept talking to him and taking money. The, the other job that was in the queue for Matt was a manager of a fast food restaurant. And, and I can just imagine that now the bathrooms never would get clean. The fries would never get into the fryer. Things wouldn't happen. But by golly, he'd be talking to the grandmother who was in there to get her coffee. He'd be listening to her story, nodding his head approvingly. Didn't matter if there, a kid had puked on the floor. Uh, he, he would just be there just caring for the grandmothers of, of the fast food restaurants. So that wasn't a fit for him either. So there's just sometimes, you know, that a person... Uh, finds a fit because of their nature. There's some things, we do some things better than others because of the personality God's given us and our nature. Now, as I picked on Matt, I've got to tell you, I'm not really that different than him. I try to act like I am, but I'm really not. When I was in high school and college, my dad, he created a little extra company, like an extra revenue stream. And to help me, he allowed me to run this company during the summer. It was a summer-based uh, business that would clean the vinahoods hoods of restaurants, and especially with school districts. So it was really gross, nasty work, but it paid really well. I hired my friends. I made enough money in about, about six weeks to last me all year as a college student. But it just really wasn't my natural bend in life. It wasn't what I did well and I would stay out late with my friends, and then we would start out early, early in the morning, like five, six in the morning. And, and one morning, 
um, I had hooked up the machine and I guess I hooked it up wrong and my dad came by, he was checking on the work because he was doing other stuff and he was a hard worker, but he was, he was a, a plumber and had different kind of businesses and, and things of that nature. So he just really worked hard with his hands and he comes in and checks on stuff and he just is so mad at me because I had hooked the machine up wrong which meant that it, it possibly would ruin the machine. Luckily, it didn't. And so he was just exasperated, and he was mad at me. He said, how in the world could you not put the hose in the right place? I can't believe this, son. And he's just going off on me, and then he said something. He said, you know what? He said, son, it's not your fault. Because, you know, listen, it's not in your nature to work like this. You know, your old dad has been working hard all his life, but you know what you need to do? You know what's in your nature? You need to go hang out with teenagers at camp all summer. That's what you need to do. I'll do the hard work. You just go hang out with kids at summer camp all summer. And you know what? I listened to him. That's what I did for about 10 years. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I say all that, and, and later that night we were laughing about that story. But in his exasperation... Uh, he said something true. Sometimes we just, in our nature, we're a fit for something. And you've seen it happen in life when it's very difficult to get someone to excel or do well at something that they don't have a natural um, capacity for, a natural ability for. Well, one of the things we're going to see in Jesus is the nature of who he is. And about 170 years ago, 160 years ago, in the mid-18th and 19th century, there became, there became a phenomena in theology known as biblical criticism. And within biblical criticism, and criticism isn't necessarily a negative word in this context, it's an evaluation of the Bible from, uh, in a way that other books are evaluated. But something disturbing that emerged from that is something called the historical Jesus. And this was the idea that uh, these theologians wanted to identify Jesus as just a normal historical figure, not God himself. And they worked really hard to reinterpret the scripture and other writings that were not scripture to try to deconstruct Jesus and make Jesus common and to make Jesus ordinary. And I want to tell you that because you will see and have seen this type of uh, analysis of Jesus and this type of, um, I guess, devaluing of Jesus, uh, it will flare up again. And at that time, it's, it's, it's really easy to erroneously think, oh, this is a new idea or this is a new concept. Typically, it's the same concept being repackaged to new groups of people. And here's the truth. The truth is that when people begin to uh, question the motivations of Jesus, they're trying to undermine his deity and who he is. What I want you to see very clear today is this, is that Jesus does not have an ulterior motive. Jesus does, is not inauthentic. There is no kind of tricky motivation that we haven't had revelation of. And here's the reason why. is because Jesus is pure. Jesus is pure. Unlike us, unlike us who we are plagued by our wrong motivations. Like even when we do good things, we often want others to discover so we get the glory. 
Even the good we have, the book of James even calls it moral filth. Uh, The good we have can be tainted uh, by an impure motive. And it's really important for us to see that when it comes to Jesus, there is no impurity in him. He's absolutely pure. And here are your first blanks for your first point. Jesus is incapable of being impure. I want this to be branded in your spirit. There will never be a discovery that minimizes Jesus. Jesus, by nature of who he is, by nature of who he claimed to be, by nature of who we affirm when we take communion and when we gather in worship, Jesus, by his very nature, is establishing his purity. There is a purity in Jesus, and he is not incapable of being impure. And I want you to know that is a great place, a great place for us to rest and to know is that Jesus is holy, he's set apart, he's righteous. First Peter chapter two, verse 22 says this, he did not commit sin, and I love this part, and no deceit was found in his mouth. This means Jesus didn't trick people. He brought people to the truth. There was nothing deceitful in his mouth. It's not a, just a matter of him um, modifying his moral behavior as he never intended to deceive. That's really what, what, what the term, um, the, the term excuse, infallible means. Excuse me, I wanted to say inerrant, but I knew that wasn't right. The, the, the term infallible means uh, not intended to deceive. That's why we say the word of God is infallible. It's not intended to deceive. There's nothing trick. There's nothing sinister. There's no spin on the word of God. And that's how Jesus is. Second Peter 2.22 said he, he committed no sin and there was no deceit in his mouth. He was not trying to trick. He was not trying to keep us from the truth. Jesus himself, when he was being attacked, when he was being questioned, he said this, this statement in John chapter eight, verse 46. Who among you can convict me of sin. I tell you the truth, why don't you believe in me? This is speaking to the authority of Jesus. You see, a lot of times in the historical Jesus or biblical criticism, erroneous scholars wanna put Jesus at the same level as Elijah or Moses or any other prophet. You know, Islam wants to do that. Islam has a certain respect for Jesus, but they don't wanna put Jesus as the son of God or God himself. We're going to talk about that in my last class on Wednesday, how the Trinity, the Trinity is such an important doctrine because it differentiates us from Islam and many other religions. Jesus, Jesus is put on the same level when it comes to the, those who analyze the great teachers of the world, the great philosophers of the world, even in Judaism for those who have not acknowledged, acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. Many Jews have, but more have not. Uh, even in that, they, they may recognize the transcendent truth of Jesus. His teachings are good, especially the Beatitudes that we've been looking at. Uh, he, he added something to the world, and there'll be a willingness to recognize his transcendent qualities. But where the issue comes down, is he God or is he not? Is he God or is he not? And the reason that he is not God is because he did not sin and by his nature could not sin. He doesn't have the ability to sin because he was, yes, fully man, 
but simultaneously fully God. And I think this question, I want us to put John 8, 46 up one more time because this question just uh, grabbed my heart this week. Who among you can convict me of sin? And I just think this is a question that the world needs to hear today. We know this, that the, the world that does not submit to Jesus Christ wants Jesus Christ to be ordinary. They want Jesus Christ to be one who did sin, the one who did make a mistake. But Jesus said this question when he was alive on this earth and the question still looms to us today. Who among you can convict me of sin? And the answer is no one. No one's qualified, qualified to convict Jesus. No one is qualified to say Jesus is one who sins. Revisionist historians cannot convict Jesus of sin. Lifeless theologians cannot convict Jesus of sin. Professors of humanism cannot convict Jesus of sin. A rebellious activist who, who do not want standards or any kinds of rules in their life and don't want to call anything sin itself can't convict Jesus of sin. No one's qualified to convict Jesus of sin because in his very nature, he doesn't have the ability to sin. I'm, that's, a, that's a God we can worship, isn't it? That, that's not just someone we can admire. I mean, we can all have histori- historical figures we admire and we like and we draw inspiration from, but we can only worship the sinless one. We can wor- only worship the one who has no spot, has no blemish because he is pure. He is pure and he does not even have the ability to sin. I want to be honest with you. A sinful Jesus is no good to me. If there's a Jesus who sinned, that's no good to me. A normal Jesus, that's no benefit to me. A Jesus that, that is no different than me makes no difference to me. I need a Jesus that's set apart. I need a Jesus who is special. I need a Jesus that we can esteem and we can honor. In Hebrews 7, 26, no doubt I've read this many times in my Bible reading plans, but I'm telling you this, I have not read uh, this scripture with so much authority as when I prepared for this message. And this is gonna give you life this morning. Look at these words on the screen with me. For this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. We don't need a God just like us. We need a God above us. We need a God who has a standard, a God who is pure, a God who is holy. I need a Jesus who is holy. I need a Jesus who is pure. I need a Jesus who is innocent. I need a Jesus who is undefiled. I need a Jesus who is separated from sin. I need a Jesus who does not have error, will not have a shadow, and will not make a mistake. That's the type of God I want to serve. I need a Jesus who's the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords, the president above all presidents, the senator above every senator, the governor above every governor, one who is exalted above this city, one who's exalted above this nation, one who's exalted above this planet. And as the scripture says, one who is exalted above the heavens itself. That's the type of Jesus I need. What about you? Amen. Come on, go ahead. Thank you. I normally don't let people clap, but that was pretty good. All right, I'll let you clap. You know, one of the things that happened, you'll notice this from human nature, is when we really like someone, we really like who they are, we begin to excuse their actions. So this happens sometimes, you know, in the political realm, naming no names, but let's say there's a president that I like, then he does something I don't agree with, I'll be like, oh, well, you know, 
He had a lot of pressure on him. He, you don't know the full story. The other side, if there's one I don't like, I'm always looking for some kind of sinister motivation. He's doing something wrong. He, he's part of this great conspiracy. Or working with teenagers. I mean, this happens all the time. I've been in some, some situations where teenagers have, have really chosen some bad, bad behavior. I mean, bad behavior. Stuff that is objectively by the courts of this land, the, the, the government itself has said, this is not agreeable, wrong behavior. And we meet wherever we're supposed to meet, the prison, the police house, the principal's office, whatever the case is, everybody cries, the punishment is given, everything is evaluated. And at the end of the day, what do the parents say? They're really a good kid. You know, they're really a good kid. And I understand the spirit of that. The spirit of that is they're made in the image of God. They have potential. They have the ability to turn things around. So I get that. I say that about my kids too. If they ever would do anything wrong, which they wouldn't. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, so I understand the spirit of that. But we're very, we're very quick. We're very quick to excuse the behavior of someone we like or someone we enjoy uh, because we don't want to admit that they may have done something wrong. So you'll, you'll hear phrases like this, they didn't really mean that. Uh, that's not really what they intended to do. And, and that's who they are. Here's one of the issues I think we have in Jesus. Some of us who, who we want Jesus to be God and we want him to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords and we're agreeable with this list that we just saw in the Hebrew scripture. But we just don't like some of what Jesus said. We, we don't like some of what Jesus stood for. And so then, if we're not careful, we'll say, well, he didn't really mean that. Or we'll say, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if that really applies. And, and, and I'm not sure if Jesus, if, if, if he really meant what he said. Here's the second point. Jesus not only is pure, here's a difference. He functions in complete purity. So it's not acceptable to say, well, Jesus is pure and holy and he's God, but he was wrong when he did this. Because that happens. Some people want to say that. Jesus is holy, set apart, he's God, he's pure, but when he implemented this policy or he said these words, he, he was just incorrect. He was just, he, 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 was, he was not in his times. He was not doing what he was supposed to do. You see, we benefit today from hundreds of years of Christianity that debated this, this whole, um, what, what appeared to be a conflict but ended up not being between the humanity of God and the deity of God. And it's hard to show you this when I'm holding a microphone, but the humanity of God and the deity of God. And for the first 400 years of Christianity, some branches of Christianity would say, Jesus was human and just like us. And he really wasn't God. And then other branches of Christianity would say, oh, Jesus was God, but he really didn't have true flesh and true humanity. He was, he was a God-like figure. And for approximately 400 years and beyond, the church debated this and 
different groups were excluded from what now we consider traditional Christianity and things went back and forth, back and forth between is, is Jesus God or man, God or man, God or man. And then it settled. It settled in the creeds that we declare. And we rest. Some of us don't realize those old creeds that we'll say, and probably next week we, we recite the Apostles' Creed, they're not just dead rote words. They are words that were established through hundreds of years of Christian tradition of interpreting the scripture. So today we can rest in the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man simultaneously. He's fully God and fully man simultaneously. And we rest in that this morning. That's a good, good place to rest. It's a good place to be. And so we can know this, we can judge this, that any action of Jesus was not a mistake. Any action of Jesus uh, was not something that he just did culturally and then he really didn't mean to do because he operated as fully man and fully God at the same time. And the scripture in Hebrews chapter one is important. Hebrews chapter one, verse three, the son is the radiance of God's glory. And look at this phrase, the exact expression of his nature. That's meaning the son has pure nature. When you see Jesus, you see God. When Jesus talks, God is talking. Jesus is the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. John 1.14 says it this way. The word became flesh and took up residence among us. Look at this phrase. We observed his glory. They saw this, the, the God-like qualities upon Jesus. When Jesus operated, he operated as God. Hebrews 2.10. For in bringing many sons to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, all things existed for him and through him, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Now, this is really important to see because at the time that we see that Jesus was flogged, he was beaten, all of the terrible things that happened on the cross, other times, even before the final week of Jesus, he was being oppressed, and many times he, had to mis- he, had, he would choose to escape, sometimes covertly, sometimes he escaped miraculously. All of the times that Jesus suffered persecution and, and, and had suffering, that was part of God's plan. This is really important because if anyone tries to deconstruct Jesus and say, how could God on earth be homeless? How could God on earth need to be supported by other people? How could God on earth uh, be, be killed, be massacred, uh, have a government come and sentence him unfairly and then uh, torture him and kill him? How could that happen? The reason that could happen, that was part of his plan. He the, the, the source of their salvation was made perfect through sufferings. Suffering was part of how our salvation came and how Jesus did this. And so there's something to see that everything he did was good. Now, you don't need a theologian. You don't need someone who has all of the Greek and Hebrew language mastered to understand that Jesus is pure and all of his actions were pure. Even when he was on the cross, the sinners who were next to him could recognize that he was pure. The sinners who were written next to him could recognize that the way he died proved that he was God. Look with me at Luke chapter 23, and you'll remember the story as we read. Verse 39, 
Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves and us. Verse 40, but the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. I want you to catch this. This is an acknowledgement of sin. One, one person, criminal on the cross would not acknowledge his sin. He had a sense of entitlement. He was indignant. He just did not believe the punishment was just. The one who did said, we're getting back what we deserve. Acknowledging we're a sinner. But look at this. But this man has done nothing wrong. Do you see what that phrase means? This man's done nothing wrong. Jesus is pure, even in his death, even though he was crucified like a criminal. He was crucified as one who had sinned, but yet even the sinners, the criminals next to him on the cross could realize that he did nothing wrong. Verse 42, we see the deity of Jesus here. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you're in your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. We see there the deity of Jesus, clear as can be. A few years ago, Beth and I were traveling in Chicago, and it was just the two of us on a trip. It took me probably, we've been married at that time 13 years. It took me 13 years to figure out how to travel with Beth Allison. And you travel without a plan. The plan is you just kind of let her follow her nose. And we, we, there's two different ways we travel. I, I have a schedule and that's fun and she likes that. And then, you know, you travel with Beth and if she can say, wow, look at this water bottle. Let's just spend some time. I'm gonna take a picture of this and put it on Facebook and talk about this bottle of water for a long time. So that's fun to do that. So we were in Chicago one time and I just let her do what she wanted to do. And uh, we, she just walked in the door and crossed her arms. I knew, I, I knew I was going to say the same thing in the next service. So, Hey, I promoted your show. So I promoted it big. So I got some brownie points so I can embellish the story, I guess. <laughs> and, and it was a really special vacation. We're going, we're, we're on Michigan Avenue. It was just the two of us. The kids were with grandma. We're on Michigan Avenue and we're going in and out of stores, museums, having a, having a, a blast. But what I learned is to take a book with me because whenever Beth wanted to just stop and do her thing, I just started reading. And at that time it was a first generation Kindle and this, it wasn't this, but it was about this size. It looked about this size. This first generation Kindle, I, I read a book, um, called Pastor by Eugene Peterson. Now, I'm not telling you the name of the book. It, it, it probably wouldn't apply to most of you. You have to kind of pastor a church for it to really impact you, I think. I'm telling you, I started reading this book in Chicago and I'm, I'm standing in, in these stores, these museums, wherever we're, we're at, and, and this book is wrecking me. This, the, the book Pastor just completely changed my life. I remember reading words in the book and just standing there, just knowing I'm never gonna be the same. Never, I'm never gonna be the same in a good way. It just affirmed the call that I had had in my life since I was 14. It just settled me, it settled my spirit. Um, one book just impacted me and, and it, it, it was just God's voice to me, 
God's voice to me. It wasn't the word of God. It's not equal to the word of God, but it was God's voice to me. And it's amazing how, how a, a book that looks like this can change your life. It's amazing that you can read some words off a book and you're never the same again. An encounter like that. The power of the literature changes you. In 2005, uh, we were in Denver with a group of pastors who were meeting. And Jackie Chapman is one of our missionaries, our longtime friend. Uh, several of you know her. She, she was just a very close friend to Beth and I, still, still is. You guys help support her and her mission work today. But 10 years ago, she asked me, she said, hey, when you're in Denver, uh, my, my brother-in-law is gonna be there. I'd like for you to meet with him. I was like, oh, I don't wanna be with this guy. guy. Are you sure? He was a missionary and man, I meet with missionaries all the time. I don't wanna be with him, but okay. I told her, I, I might get around to meeting with him. Let's just see, Here, give me his phone number. So she sent a couple of other messages. I don't know if texting was, was going yeah, I guess it was in 2005. She sent us another text. Here he is. Try to meet with him with the cancer. I, because I was so important and I had so many people to meet with and I had so much going on on my little trip to Denver, I gave this guy a time slot, a morning time slot at the downtown McDonald's in Denver. And I just begrudgingly kind of rolled out of bed, got ready real fast, went down to this McDonald's. I'm gonna meet with this guy obligatory meeting and I'm going to listen to his spill. So we sit down and he eats his food and he was a little quirky at first. And then for the next 15 minutes, a guy named Dick Brogdon spoke into my life. I walked away from that McDonald's and I've never been the same since. I can look back to that place, had never been the same since. The depth of who he was, who God has made him, his perspective on world missions, his heart to reach the unreached. I've never been able to pastor the same. I've never been able to look at Muslim people the same. I've never been able to look at missions the same. One encounter with this powerful man of God. He's only about five years older than me. And, and he, he's a remarkable man. We don't idolize him or anything like that, but God used him and one encounter with this man changed everything. Change the way I live my life. Now, if I read a book in Chicago that impacted me and changed me forever, and if I had a meeting at a McDonald's in Denver and I was never the same after that meeting, and this is from men who sin and have impure motives and men who are no different than you and me, and if God can use them to transform my life. What is going to happen when I see Jesus Christ, the pure and faultless one, and look him in the eyes with his eyes of fire, which is a metaphorical way of saying, when you look into the eyes of Jesus, it burns away everything that doesn't matter in your life. What's going to happen? Here's the, the last thing, the last fill in the blanks. Did y'all get the second fill in the blanks, by the way? We're getting back in rhythm here. Did y'all get the second one? Okay, here's the third one. Since Jesus is pure, we will be pure. I bet you guessed that one, didn't you? That wasn't too hard to guess. But it's our hope. Man, this is, this is 
God himself. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He made the one who did not know sin, the pure one. The pure one, Jesus, the pure one. He made the one who did not know sin. Look at these words, to be sin for us. Do, do we understand this today? Jesus was pure and faultless. He chose to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then 1 John 3, 2, it brings us to our final point. Dear friends, we're God's children now. We, we sing earlier, we're not slaves, are we? We're not slaves in the least. And we'll sing about that some more today. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we know we will be like him because we will see him as he is. You see the point there? If I can encounter a book, if I can encounter a man just four years, five years older than me, and my life can be changed. When we see Jesus, we're gonna be changed and we're gonna be pure in a way we can never imagine because his purity is so good. That means that sin you're battling with, you won't battle with that sin when you see Jesus anymore. That physical challenge you have, you won't have that when you see Jesus anymore. Those bad habits we can't break, we won't have them when we see Jesus anymore. That's our hope. Our hope is not in our ability. Our hope is in not our way to re-engineer our behavior. Our hope is that Jesus is coming again and we're going to see him face to face. And when we see him face to face, we'll become everything he wants us to become. And until that day comes, guess what we're going to do? We're going to keep growing and we're going to keep maturing and we're going to keep of becoming more and more like Jesus because that's who we are. We are his sons. We are his daughters. We're not slaves. We're free. How many are thankful for a pure Jesus, a Jesus we can trust, a Jesus who's not going to trick us, a Jesus who's not going to disappoint us, a Jesus who is not going to deceive us, who doesn't even have the ability. He doesn't have the ability to deceive us because he is pure and he is holy. Let us stand together. Let us stand together. Doesn't he deserve our worship? Doesn't he deserve our praise? He is so wonderful. Pastor Matt and Pastor Daniel and Rachel, and they're gonna make their way to the back wall and other prayer partners. If you're a prayer partner, please, please feel free to go to that back wall because we wanna pray with some of you. We're gonna, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. I'm gonna be down here at the front because if any of you wanna pray with me, I'll be down here at the front and pray with whoever I'm able to. But we're gonna celebrate the purity of Jesus and there's no better way than to celebrate the purity of Jesus than to go to the bread and go to the cup so that's made available to you. You don't have to take communion, but if you choose to today, that opportunity is available. If you choose to take communion today, I won't give you further instructions. You can take the bread and the cup when your heart's ready. But I wanna challenge you to go to a prayer partner if there's anything in your life that you're dealing with. If we can pray with you, we wanna do that. Pray with one another. I'll be dismissing service uh, rather shortly because we need to go get our kids and things of that nature. I preached a little longer today, but you can tell this message was alive in my heart and, and he deserved it all. He deserved all the attention we gave him today. I think that as we're beginning to grow and fill up this room more, it may be helpful just as a practical word of instruction. Let's try this this morning. If we're gonna take communion, let's go from the inside to the outside. So we don't have two lines coming. So go to the inside aisle and then 
through the outside aisle. And I think that would help us with that. Uh, but let's spend this time with the Lord. We're, we're waiting for you, prayer partners. I'm here to pray with you. Uh, let's just lavish on Jesus and love on him because we're sons and we're daughters. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.